Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. As we begin um, our now second week in our Advent series, The Rescuer, I, I want to speak really plainly to us today um, about what I've seen in our culture, and specifically for those who live in Clarksville, but it also just kind of extends far beyond Clarksville as well. Here, here's the deal, my friends. Most often, pain, hurt, disappointment, and suffering goes untouched and untalked about. See, every person in the world experiences relational and spiritual brokenness in our marriages, with our families, with our friends, kids, extended family. And it seems like that the holiday season especially uniquely stirs up this brokenness in special ways and maybe even more deeper and and more hurtful ways. And what happens is that all of this is exacerbated by our tense political climate and a worldwide pandemic. And most people that I know, um, they attempt to fix this pain, this hurt, this relational brokenness or family conflict on their own. They don't want other people coming in. They close their doors. They put out an optimistic Facebook post or TikTok, but the pain and the anger, what it does is it creeps to the surface in the dark. And husband and wife, they fight alone without community and without help. What I also see too is that others just attempt to cover up and kind of push away this hurt and pain in order to just kind of be seen as being put together. Marriages can go on for years without addressing deep wounds. We can let relational conflict just fester under the surface. And and what happens is, is that the anger will bubble up, but you'll get inordinately angry about the craziest, smallest things. You mess up the eggnog, you forget to take the trash out, and all of a sudden it's like a volcano explodes, but it's really just been building over a long period of time. And what happens is, is that it's just misplaced conflict, and then the real issues never get addressed. So you never get the benefit of real conflict that leads to real resolution to deal with the real problems. Um, I just find that a lot of people push away this conflict. They never truly deal with it. And so then the conflict never gets resolved and continues to fester. And what we see then, and this is the lie, right? This is the lie of, of our world. This is the lie of American culture. It's from the outside looking in, you see the perfect family, um, perfect Facebook and Instagram posts. Because most people I know, truly, they rarely share while they are processing through something difficult. They always like to share on the back end. And here's the narrative, right? And this is especially, I I believe, in Clarksville, both because of the the military and also because of kind of the religious culture and and the Bible belt. Uh, Essentially, what I've heard a lot, the narrative I hear is, I used to have difficulty and now I've overcome it. And you can be like me if you just work hard enough. You see, the prevailing narrative in Clarksville is almost always one of an overcoming through personal grit without appearing to struggle at all. And what this does is this makes ourselves our own personal rescuer in our story. So in today's message, we want to address this culture of self-reliance by looking at our hope for the ultimate rescuer and savior who is outside of ourselves that saves us from the truest hell, which is separation from God for eternity. So last week, last week we looked at the promise 
of a rescuer. How in the Garden of Eden, right after humanity fell, God gave us this incredible promise of a special offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, this representative of evil in the world. And then we traced the lineage of Eve all throughout the first half of the Old Testament, seeing how each generation we gained more information about this promised rescuer. We actually gained more promises that helped us more specify who this promised rescuer would be. And then we even saw how the patriarch's actions were all pointing us to someone truer and better than them, pointing us to Jesus. And so with this message, we're looking at the hope of a rescuer and specifically looking at the later part of the Old Testament and these prophets who begin to, in more explicit detail, point us to the coming Savior. And so for our text for today is in Ezekiel chapter 34, and this is what it says. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. And I will, I'm going to say this again, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. My friends, our main point for today is this, that the hope of a rescuer can only be found when we admit that we are broken, And we come humbly to Jesus, our rescuer, who brings us into healing, restoration, and rest. And so we're going to go through three three movements. We're going to look at the fight against hope. We're going to look at how hope pursues us. And finally, we're going to see how the rescuer is Jesus. So let's begin uh, talking about the fight against hope. When we come to Ezekiel, he, he penned these words that we just read about 550 years before Jesus came on the scene. And what happened was, is that Israel had been disobedient to God, and God had allowed foreign nations to come in to take over and now enslave the people. And they're crying out to God. They're crying out for a Savior. They're crying out repentance. And Ezekiel is both a prophet and a priest who is commissioned by God to bring a message of a future hope for the people. So we see at the beginning of Ezekiel, we see how Ezekiel is commissioned by God in Ezekiel 2 verses 3 to 5. This is what it says. And and he, meaning God, and God said to me, remember this is Ezekiel writing from a first person's perspective. And he, God, said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, look at how God sees and demonstrates and talks about the nation of Israel, his chosen nation. He calls them a nation of rebels. You see, God has miraculously saved Israel from slavery in Egypt. He saved them from oppressors. He blessed them with a prosperous land, yet they consistently and constantly turned against him. They turned to false gods. And then what they did was they even gave these false gods the credit for what the true God had done for them. 
And so it's this incredible cycle of rebellion. And then what God would bring is judgment in the midst of it. And then they would repent. And then they would be restored back to God. So the entire Old Testament is just one big story after story of Israel's rebellion, God's judgment on that rebellion, Israel's repentance, and then their subsequent restoration, and then rebellion again. God is continually patient with them. He's loving with them. He's drawing them back to himself. And what he's doing here with Ezekiel is he's sending a prophet to call them back to himself and call them towards a future hope of a savior who will end this cycle of rebellion, judgment, repentance, and then restoration. And what we see as we read the Old Testament and what we see as we read Ezekiel too is that my friends, Israel is us. Israel is you and me. And the fight within us to be prideful, to be arrogant, to, be, to hide our need and to turn to other people or other things in our life to save ourselves, it's the exact same sin as Israel. We attribute the blessings of God either to ourselves, to other things or objects or a job or other people that we worship as gods. And really what we're doing is we're fighting against the true hope of Jesus. You see, when you seek to hide your marital issues, you don't seek help. It's a fight against hope. When you run from community and you want to do this on your own, I've heard that a lot. I just am going to do this on my own. Really what you're doing is you're fighting against the hope that God is providing for you. And when you present yourself falsely as being put together, you hide when you're struggling with PTSD or depression or anxiety. My friends, it is a fight against the hope that Jesus offers us. And what we then replace these things with then harms us even more. So there's a harm in in turning away from hope, but then there's also something that actively works against us, fighting against hope when we turn to other things instead of God. So this temporary lack of conflict in your marriage, if this is if this d- demonstrates your relationship, if, if there's a lack of conflict in your marriage that you're just stuffing things away, it will always bring itself back up again. And what it will do is it will inspire bitterness as that cycle goes over and over in your life. Or, or if you just pull back and say, look, community's not for me. I don't want to be hurt anymore. What isolation does is it kills your soul and it breeds depression. And it actually breeds a cycle of self-reliance and pride and arrogance as well. But also what we see too is patterns of lying that says you have it put together, that you shove brokenness kind of to the back end when nobody can see it. You put it on, on the back porch, right? And that's the only time that you really deal with it. What happens is that patterns of lying have long-term effects on your character when you don't actually are honest about what you're really struggling with. Now, my friends, I'm here to talk about hope today. And you're like, Josh, man, this is really kind of depressing, right? And you can understand why. Because in order for us to understand that, that, that we need, in order for us to receive hope, we must first receive the truth that we need hope. We have to see our need. In order for us to receive hope, we have to receive the truth about our need. My friends, we are in need of a hope that is outside of our efforts, but we often don't want to acknowledge or admit such need. We want to hide behind social media, stuff down our pain, and just keep showing up without actually thriving. And if we do this, what happens is that we are seeking to hide from our need. We're actually fighting against hope. And for us to have hope, we have to have a need for hope. And that's what leads us to the second point, is that not, we do fight against hope by our nature. But what we also see is that hope pursues 
us, that God is actually in a pursuit of us as we are fighting against the hope that he's providing, because that would mean that we would have to be honest about our need. So the prophet Ezekiel, he appears on the scene and he speaks a word both of judgment, but he also speaks a word of hope to this hope-rejecting people. Look with me at Ezekiel 11. Therefore say, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, therefore say, thus says the Lord God, Though I removed them far off among the nations, and though I scattered them amongst the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. God essentially says, look, I've scattered you. I have scattered you in judgment, but I have been a sanctuary for you. I've been a, I've been a holding spot for you, even though you've been away from home. Let's continue. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples. I will assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. So God promises, he says, I'm gonna take you back away from slavery. I'm gonna take you back away from my judgment. I'm gonna bring you back into the land again. But then he says something else that is so crucial for us to understand. And I will give them one heart. And a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. God says, not only am I going to change their external circumstances, but I'm going to change the internal workings of their heart. I'm going to take this hardened heart and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh that is sensitive to me and they will obey me and I will be their people and I will be, they will be my people and I will be their God. And, And throughout the whole Old Testament, we see that God pursues us. He woos us as we are fighting against the hope because we don't want to admit our need. God is consistently coming to us. He's exposing our need so that he can give us his hope. And we see this again in Ezekiel 34. And we're going to read this again. This is kind of our main text for today. And it's really, this is a beautiful passage on the pursuing nature of God. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been shattered scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Now, the first thing that we see here is that as God refers to his people, he refers to them as sheep. And this is quite often he does this in the Old Testament. And really, it's, it's kind of not the best compliment for us. Sheeps are kind of dumb, okay? They just kind of go wherever is the easiest way to go. They literally could be in a valley. And if it takes a lot of effort to get up, to go over a hill, to go to the next valley, what they'll do is they just won't do it. And if they're not led well, they'll just stay in the valley, eat all the food, and die of starvation. Like, that's literally how dumb sheep are. But sheep with a shepherd that's caring for them, that's leading them, that's talking to them so they recognize its voice, will follow a shepherd. And they'll follow the shepherd wherever the shepherd goes and do whatever the shepherd tells them to do. What God says is, I am going to seek out my sheep, my wayward sheep, like a good shepherd. And then he says, I will rescue them 
from all the places that they have been scattered. Now, clearly, this is, has an immediate context, and this has a context for us today. The immediate context is that, that Israel has been scattered to the nations. They've been taken captive. And so God says, I'm going to pull them back in. I'm going to bring them back to the land that I had originally given them. But my friends, this also means something for you and me today. And so my question for you is this. Do you feel scattered today? Do you feel scattered in this Advent season? Do you feel scattered in all the busyness and the weirdness of this year with job changes, working from home, the kids doing remote schooling? Do you feel scattered? Does your marriage feel scattered? Like you look at your spouse and you think, this is not the person I married and this is not the marriage I wanted. Does your community feel scattered with the loss of your identity? Maybe you have a military or career transition. Maybe you're transitioning out of the military, transitioning to a new career. Does that create a period of disorientation for you? Are you having job difficulty? Are you just not able to see your friends as much because of this global pandemic? And maybe that's the reason why you just feel like your community is scattered. And here's the other question. Does your identity feel scattered by the people who have spoken maybe truth or lies over you? You know, we look and everyone speaks a word over us. Our parents speak to us and to our identity. Our spouse speaks to our identity. Our children, our jobs, our vocations, all those things speak to who we truly are. And the question is, have you been piecemealed together by what everybody else has said about who you are? Does your identity feel scattered? So that's my first question. Do you feel scattered? The second question is, who are you turning to like Humpty Dumpty to put you back together again? If you're feeling scattered, who are you turning to? Are you turning to neglect and misdirection in your marriage, not wanting to deal with the real issues and so just pushing them to the side? Are, are you dealing with isolation? Is that what you're turning to to give you some sort of hope, some sort of protection from the world around you? Or are you just turning to prideful put-togetherness that says, look at me, look at my house, look at my social media, my Instagram accounts, my job, my car, look at these things, look at how put-together I really am. You see, what Jesus says is, I will rescue them from the places that they have been scattered. He will rescue us. He wants to be the rescuer, not all these other things that we are trying to turn to. He then says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And my friends, I just want to tell you, there are many false shepherds in our culture that want to lead you astray. There are many false people in the culture that want to lead you, that want to shepherd you, that want to guide you into a place that is dangerous for your soul. Sometimes this could be friends in your life that normalize crass talk, cheating on your spouse, that normalize gossip or foolishness, that want to pull you in, that maybe after you spend time with them, you're not a more loving, careful spouse. You're not a more gracious parent. You're not a more faithful employee. There's false shepherds that want to pull you away. Maybe this could be social media. That, that could be a shepherd that guides you, that can lie to you about what a perfect life and what a perfect marriage should look like. So often on social media, we compare our insides to everybody else's outsides. And that's why it can be such a damaging thing for us to be shepherded by social media. Also, we can be shepherded by our own heart, by our own ambitions that can lie to us that can try to guide us, that can try to convince us. And the Bible actually says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can trust it? Like we can't even trust our own heart. But my friends, there is only one good shepherd. And we'll see in a minute how that good shepherd is Jesus. But we see that God is speaking here, saying, 
I will be the shepherd of my sheep. I know everything that's going on. I know everything about each sheep and I know how to shepherd you well. And he wants to be the good shepherd over our lives. He also says, I myself will make them lie down. My friends, seeing God as our rescuer, it allows us to rest. It allows us to lie down. Look with me at Jeremiah 6, 16. Man, I love this passage. This has been really speaking to me for the past three or four months, especially during this um, global pandemic. This has been really helpful for my walk with Jesus. It says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You know, there's a way that we can walk. There's a way that we can live that is really difficult. If you've ever tried to jog in the sand, you know what I'm talking about. You're just working so incredibly hard and you're getting nowhere. But you go to the YMCA or you go to Planet Fitness and you hop on one of these awesome like Cadillac treadmills and you set it and forget it. And it's like so much easier, right? Like there's a way to walk that's so difficult, but there's a way to walk that can truly be rest filled. And so what, what, what God is calling us to is to look for the ancient paths where the good way is, the easy way. Now, will it always be easy in how you and I understand easy? No, but we can find rest as we follow the life and the teachings of Jesus. And really, my friends, what I want to say is that the rescuing work of God does not lead us to to to-do lists. It leads us to its done lists. Let me say that again. The rescuing work of God does not lead us into to-do lists. It leads us into its done lists. What we see is that God does the work for us. Look with me even in the text. It says God does the work. He says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Who's doing the work there? It's God that's doing the work. He says, I'm going to do the work for you. Your marriage will fail unless you believe in the hope of a rescuer outside of your marriage. Your career will never give you what you long for unless your hope is outside of your performance and a vocation. It won't satisfy you. Your identity, my friends, your identity Your scattered identity will never be put together enough to hide the brokenness. It won't be. So here's the deal. Admitting your weakness and finding the hope of a promised rescuer, what it does is it begins to bring in restoration and healing. That's what the gospel, that's what the good news of Jesus is inviting us into. And what we see is that this rescuer that's pursuing us is Jesus. Look with me at this prophecy again in Ezekiel talking later on about a shepherd. It says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. We see that this one shepherd is promised. It's coming from the lineage of David, and he will be the sustenance and the provision for his people. And then we see even more clearly 200 years before Ezekiel wrote these words, about 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, Micah says these amazing words that I just was like blown away with as I was preparing this message. It says this, but you, listen to the location, Micah 5, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, 
from ancient days, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, how does this little tiny town in Bethlehem get mentioned 700 years before Jesus. What it's saying is that it's a prophecy. From this little town will come forth a ruler who is the promised one from ancient days. And it says that he will have the strength of God and the majesty of God, and he will have a global greatness. Does this kind of sound familiar to you? Does this kind of sound like maybe somebody that we're like planning on celebrating his birth? Well, let me just remind you of this story. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, out of Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were there in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. My friends, this Jesus, this baby, is the Savior, and he is born in the city of David, this tiny little backwoods town that was mentioned in a prophecy 700 years before his birth that a king would birth out of Bethlehem again, 700 years ago, and now we see him born in that small little town, Jesus Christ. He grew up, and at the height of his ministry, Jesus said these words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. That's the bad shepherd. But Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My friends, my question for you is this. Do you need a good shepherd? Do you need a rescuer? Look no further than Jesus meeting every need that your sin, that your suffering, and that your rebellion has created. My friends, you can freely engage in your marriage. You can be open about your struggles, your pain, your difficulty with others even. Why? Because your rescuer is not your public persona, but
but Jesus incarnating into your pain, into your infidelity, into your selfishness, and he can redeem it and make it something new again. My friends, you can be in community with all of your flaws and brokenness and sin. Why? Because Jesus has already anticipated all of your problems. He has come into the midst of them. He has saved you from them and he is redeeming you from the after effects of your brokenness. You can learn that you then can't do it alone. You need others around you to help you follow Jesus and encourage you. You can walk in humility. And then my friends, you can be honest about your own personal shortcomings. You don't have to pridefully hide behind the the lie of put-togetherness that you've so carefully crafted. Why? Because you have a rescuer who is the truth, exposing all of who you are in the midst of his blinding light and then drawing you back into hope, forgiveness, and grace yet again. My friends, Jesus has come to bring you into hope again, a hope that you can't do it, that he has already done it, and he is your true and better shepherd. Now, if you're joining us and you do not yet identify as a follower of Jesus, all it takes is for you to repent and believe. Repent means to turn away from how you're walking and to turn the opposite direction. And what it looks like for you is that you say, Jesus, you are my only hope. I want you to be the shepherd of my soul. I want to give my all to you so that I can receive all of the benefits that you've already earned on my behalf. I want to rest. That's what it looks like. And when you do that, you will walk in humility. You will walk in grace. You will walk in healing, in restoration. You'll walk in forgiveness because your identity becomes changed by the Savior who is inside of you, changing you. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, it can be so easy to put up the walls. It can be so easy to pull back from community. It can be so easy to fall into the lie of pride that says, I can do it on my own. Own. And so I want to compel you today, if you are a follower of Jesus, that, that you then turn to him again with fresh eyes, seeing him as your rescuer, seeing him as your hope, and maybe seeing other ways that you've been shepherded by social media, shepherded by poor influences in your life, or maybe even shepherded by your own deceitful heart that wants to convince you that what you're doing is right, when maybe it's not. And so I want, to, I want you to turn towards Jesus as your ultimate shepherd, as your ultimate rescuer yet again. And when we do these things, we can sing the words of this old Charles Wesley hymn with integrity. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. The hope of a rescuer can only be found when we admit that we are broken, we come humbly to Jesus, our rescuer, who brings us into healing, restoration, and rest. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.